What a wonderful time of worship together today, and thank you for your participation every week. Our musicians and musical teams put a lot of time, thought, prayer, and practice into preparing to lead our congregation in worship, and uh, so thank you for that today. Uh, I want us to go in our Bibles to Matthew 6 this morning, please. Matthew 6. We're going to look at a thought as we follow through with our two-part series, Imagine, and today I want us to imagine giving something to God. Last week, we talked about imagine reaching more people and really saw how God impresses on us to be open to the God moments and conversations that he brings our way. But really, naturally, this message here in Matthew 6 this morning is one that can be a bit challenging with a church setting. Uh, Money becomes something that is a very closed conversation, a very personal conversation with many of us, and we don't really open up a lot about where we spend it, how we spend it, and how much we spend. When we look at the teachings of the scripture on money, we would find that Jesus actually makes a pretty big deal about it. If you're new here at Parkway, we don't really talk much about money other than the fact that this is God's resource that he calls for us to be good stewards of and then calls for us to give faithfully back to him. And so when we look at this thought today, it is not one that you could even walk away saying, well, the church only talks about giving our money or getting our our pocketbook or our wallet or our resources because the truth and reality is, is that when we look at this as an element that Jesus taught about, I think it's something that we should certainly take note of. In the 29 parables that Jesus told, 16 of them were about people and their money and resources. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses deal with money. And so when we look at this passage of Scripture, I think it's really important for us to understand going into this new year, it would be important for us to imagine giving something to God. Look at verse number 19. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single or clear, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. So this morning we're going to dig into this text And we're going to uh, look at this whole thought of the two masters, the double-headed leader, I guess you would say. No home can function well when the two heads are not functioning in unison together. A ball team will not win and succeed if there are two that are the master, the coach, and the leader. No workplace will be a healthy environment to function in and to excel in if it doesn't have a clear-cut leader leading the vision. And so here in this passage, we're reminded about these two, these two gods or these two masters that call for our passion and our emotions. They call for our desires. And so we have to evaluate that in our own hearts today. What are the lessons from this text that as Jesus places an eternal perspective regarding 
our money and our possessions. We're going to dig into that. Let's, let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, I, in my mind right now, I am asking you to clear our thoughts that we might concentrate on what is important from you today. I know that time is quickly fleeing because of the the presentation this morning and things that need to be discussed corporately with the body. But Lord, help us now to be able to just sit still for a moment, to concentrate on what you might want to teach us. And so we give this time to you for your blessing and direction in Jesus' name, amen. First of all, we would see the lesson that Jesus wants us to see in verses 19 through 21 is the use of our wealth. It's clear that this passage and many others throughout the New Testament, they, Jesus is not promoting poverty as some spiritual element. There was only one time in Jesus' life that was recorded when he called for the young rich man to sell everything and then to give it to the poor. And that was a call for this young man to give of his wealth and his idol because it was a barrier between him and his willingness to turn the control over to a greater Lord in his life. And of course, the young rich ruler did not want to do that and give up his strong possession and his passion. And Jesus used that as an example, not to the church that we sell all and become in poverty, hoping that that becomes our next spiritual step but rather to not allow the wealth that he gives us to become our sole idol of possession that become a barrier between him and uh, between us and his lordship in our life. And his response as the young rich man responded in such a way that proved he was not willing to give of that. So the problem doesn't lie within the wealth and possession itself, but rather in our willingness to part with it. Warren Wearsby said this, it is not wrong to possess things, but it is wrong for those things to possess us. In the text, verse number 19, the verse gives us better understanding of what Jesus is trying to communicate in this, by the way, Sermon on the Mount. This comes at a very crucial time where he is, is communicating, and, and this is an element of where he wants this to be brought up. He uses words of lay up. And the word treasure, they both come from the basic Greek word that gives us, in the English language, the word theosaurus. It's a treasury of words. And so here, he's giving us the understanding of treasuring treasures. We know what treasuring treasures looks like. You could walk into my house this afternoon, and I could walk you uh, down the hallway, and I could show you a basket of photo albums, and we'll flip through some of those photo albums of some very treasured memories, some very treasured moments. There are some things that are on our refrigerator because the girls have put their incredible handiwork at, and so they become treasures. Sitting by my bedside on top of one of my books is a sticky note that Bailey had written a message to me earlier this week and had stuck it there as a way of encouraging me and telling me she loves me and praying for me. That becomes a treasure. You can open my drawer there by the bedside and you'll see notes and pictures and, and things that bring back treasured moments. So we all know what that looks like, a treasury of treasures. And he is telling us here that these photo albums, this memorabilia, the items that, that remind us of somebody else or a special occasion or a moment in our life, 
that that gives us the illustration of what it's like to treasure and hold on to something. Now, with that same example, he calls for us not to treasure the possessions and hold tightly onto the, the things that he has blessed us with, that we're not willing to use those resources to be a blessing to others in a way that God can only use. And so we would not do that to our vehicles or to our home or to our possessions, to our money and to our wealth, though we would treasure a picture of memory and a possession that brings back a moment in life, we do not hold on to these treasures in order to be a blessing to somebody. Both the Old and the New Testament, they recognize the rights to material possessions. Some of the the men who feared God most and were called righteous were men of great wealth. You think of Job, he was a man that feared God, he hated evil, yet he was the wealthiest of wealthy in his day. You think of Abraham, again, another man who feared God, was a righteous man and loved God and was lining up for what God was going to do with him and through his seed. And this yet again was a wealthy man with with animals and land and possessions and money. And God was using that material gain not to be the focus of their heart, but to use them in order to serve others. Verse 20 says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And this means to us that we use all that we have for the glory of God. And so again, like the young rich man, he held on to his things and did not want the lordship of Christ in his life though he pretended that he was doing all of the commandments and though he pretended to desire to have eternal life, when he was given that opportunity, what became his passion and his idol was the very thing that he held so tightly onto that he was not willing to give up. And when we look in our own lives, we would see that there are many things that we hold on so tightly that we're not willing to give up. Sometimes as parents, we have to even understand that as stewards of our children, God may want to do something with our children far greater than we could ever imagine, far greater than we would ever choose, and far greater than we may even want to comprehend at times. And maybe it's a health struggle that God wants to take them through in order to to teach us dependency on an almighty God. Or maybe it's a struggle in their life. Or maybe it's a surrender and a calling of what God wants to do with them and taking them on the mission field or into the ministry or into a workplace that doesn't seem as if it's the best. And yet God has called them to that place for such a time as this. Maybe it's the place where your children go to school. And that's where God has opened that door of opportunity. And it is the place where they are to be used by God. And we as a parent submit to that leading. And that gives us this privilege to see God use that resource. Now for some today, when we lay up treasures in heaven, that may mean that you just need to start giving something to God. Sometimes we think that we give enough to God. I give him my attention. I've given him my life. I've I've given him my service and I've given him my family and and we would go on with some of these thoughts, but there's always something in our life that we're maybe holding on to. The biggest giver might even have some weaknesses in their life of something that they're holding on to. They think they can pay off their debts to God by huge offerings in the offering plate just as though they can live their life in great wickedness and immorality throughout the rest of the week. It's not how God's investment plan works. 
laying up for treasures in heaven means that becomes our full desire. It becomes everything we're invested in. And when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. And it doesn't become an investment plan hoping that you'll become successful and prestigious and have great position here on earth. What it does mean is that when it only is important to you of investing in eternal riches and eternal things, that when that happens here on earth to be blessings, you find that to be greatly rewarding. One of the things that the finance office is working on, and when I say finance office, I'm I'm just Michael Battle. That's what I mean, okay? So... (laughs) I just want to use technical terms, okay? So one of the things that the financial office is working on is putting together for the 2019 review what God accomplished with his church because of your investment. The the lights and air are on this week because we invest in God's ministry. Uh, We've got some TP in the restrooms because people invest in God's ministry, Next week, we're not going to put out an alarm on your text to say, bring your own, okay? So it's just not where we are, right? But those are key essentials because God inv- people invest in God's ministry. But you know what's even greater than those material things? You know what's greater than just sitting in a, 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 an auditorium that has lights, air, and, and a sound system is when because of your investment, you see lives changed by the gospel, And you see people trust Jesus Christ as their savior, not because of a polished message or because of a pastor in the pulpit, but because of your investment in God's work. When you see teenagers go off to the mission field for a short-term mission trip, it's not just so that they can have a cool week of experience. It's because those hearts are being shaped by something and they're being developed for something greater than themselves. And they come back and we see the fruit of that because of our investment. When we celebrate together the people who have been discipled and people who have been poured into and people who are taking next spiritual steps, it's not because we sit back and hope that the church makes it all happen. It's because we collectively together invest in God's church. When we hear missionary partners stand in front of us and give testimony after testimony of people whose lives are being shaped by the gospel and whose God's work is being done in different places that we cannot go, we rejoice with them, we smile with them, we weep with them, and we're so excited with them because of our personal investment as a partner in their ministry. Like That's what he's speaking of here. When he speaks of this, he is saying that we are to lay up, we are to treasure the treasures in heaven. The passion that causes us to function every day should be that which is eternal. We all like new things. I'll be the first one to get all giddy and excited about something new that may come my way. But I want my passion and desire not to be to the gets, but to be to the gives to be what God wants to give through me. My prayer would be that, God, you would bless me in ways that I cannot imagine so that I can just continue to give to your work and to your furtherance of the gospel. You see, secondly, he says that our view of wealth is so important. The eye is the light and the lens of our body. Verse number 22, he says, he says, the light of the body is the eye, 
If therefore thine eye be single, well, thy whole body shall be full of light. Now, some of you have battled with vision difficulties, and you, you know this very well, probably better than others, that when you have vision difficulty, it's, it's hard to function properly. Maybe you stumble or you fall or um, you do things that maybe you have to go slow going. Maybe you run into obstacles or you need some extra guidance and help. And those are just things that, that happen with the struggle of your vision. Well, the same way this word here in the scripture, this word single, is going to give us the idea of a clear focus. It's the opposite of what happens in verse number 23 when it uses the word evil, which is the word for foggy. It's saying that we don't have this clear vision, this clear look, or this clear scope of what is proper. And when we find this, we would know that going down the road, if I'm going to focus on what is ahead, I'm not sticking my eyes on the rearview mirror the whole time, wondering what's going on behind me. I'm focusing on what is before me. So the single vision doesn't always look behind. It's not stuck on being confused, having double vision. It's going to be focused on what is ahead. Now, the right vision of our wealth enables us to be motivated to give. Not out of duty, but out of passion and desire. That's an important place to be with your giving. Do not give out of necessity. Do not give out of duty. Do not give out of guilt. Give out of the freedom of your heart of pure joy. Knowing that God is giving through you. And that God wants to do something greater with your wealth than you could ever imagine. We do have a responsibility. As we read the Old and the New Testament, you're going to find teachings of this giving all throughout. As I shared, Jesus gives much teaching throughout the Gospels about this. Some would say that tithing is 10% or not 10% or just a little or giving off. And what we focus is, is on this grace giving because honestly, there are some in here that if you're restricted by the 10%, you're like, good, got it done. I'm ready to go. In all actuality, God wants to give more through you, more through us, than we're really interested in giving. Because sometimes we're like, if I just hit that 10% mark, then I'll be good. I've paid my debt and I can check it off. And God's all actually calling for us to be grace givers, giving out of the abundance, never able to outgive God, seeing what he does. W.A. Criswell, he tells a story of an ambitious young man who told his pastor that he'd promised to God that he would tithe of his income. And so they prayed together, pastor and friend, for God to bless his career. Well, at the time, he was making $40 a week. And so he was giving faithfully $4 in his tithe. In a few years, because of prayer, his income increased and he was tithing $500 a week. Well, he called on the pastor and he said... Um, Hey, Pastor, do you think I could be released from this promise that we made to God? You know, it's really costly now. Well, the pastor wisely replied, well, I don't really see how you can be released from your promise, but why don't we join together and pray and ask God to reduce your income to $40 a week? <laughs> then you'd have no problem tithing $4. You see, the reality is for all of us, and I'm in this boat too, we have no problem going out into public and we will tip our barista, or we will tip our waitress, and we will appreciate the service that they gave to us, and by our way of showing appreciation for what they have given to us, 
We'll give them our 15, our 18, and our 20%. And I say, yeah, well, Pastor, that's little numbers. It may be, but some of you have a pretty hefty bill when you go to Bonefish and Longhorn and some of those other places. What I'm telling and reminding all of us is that the waitress gives us good service, but God has given us his son. The barista gives us a great cup of coffee, but the reality is, is, is Jesus gave us his life. And it's not about paying back a debt that was paid on our behalf. It's about investing in eternity. It's about being a participant in the church that God has placed you in. Not only is the responsibility to give, but the responsibility is for us to give where we are. When we look at 48% of the giving units in a church as participating in regular giving, That means that there are many who need to be burdened by the Lord to be a participant in the place that they are at. Let me give you this example. Several years ago, Natalie and I were able to go on a date for Valentine's Day. And so we got a babysitter. It was probably mom and dad. I don't remember exactly the details. But we sat down at the grill smith, and we had our Valentine's meal. The staff was super friendly and helpful and I thought even though they were friendly, the lighting wasn't exactly what I liked for that moment. But, yeah, I kind of moved forward. The music was nice, but they didn't play any of my favorite songs. And it seemed like a nice environment, but there were people all around us all night long. And some of them were a little annoying and loud, I'll be honest with you. Now, there was a couple even behind me who had the audacity to order calamari and eat it. I didn't appreciate that. I found it very offensive and certainly nothing I would do. We, we just had to agree to disagree, really, on the order. So throughout the evening, I thoroughly enjoyed my food and my from the table, and I took the bill, and I walked out the back door, not to say anything to anybody, and I walked to the other side of the property, you know, there on the, the front part of Lakeside Village, because there's another great restaurant. It's called Longhorn. Now, Longhorn plays some of my favorite songs, and their lighting is much better. Their staff, not as friendly as Grillsmith. And the menu, not necessarily in comparison. But when I go to Longhorn, there's nobody ordering calamari and nobody really offending me with their food choices. So I simply went into Longhorn and I walked up to the manager and I said, here, I'm here to pay my bill. I would like to pay. My meal was delicious. The service was great. The staff was extraordinary at Grillsmith. But I want to pay you for what I gained from them. Now you'd say, that's absurd. It really is. I pay where I was fed, and I contribute to where I was blessed. Now, I didn't walk to the management at Grillsmith and tell them that I would never be back because I didn't like the lighting or the people around me eating calamari and the way the tables were arranged. I didn't complain that they didn't play any of my favorite songs during my date night. I just simply contributed to what I received and even gave a hefty tip to the one who gave great service. You see, the principle is simple and sobering. The way we look at and use our money is a sure barometer of our spiritual condition. The last thing in verse number 24 is our master of wealth. You see, the commands of these two masters are diametrically opposed to one another. The one commands us to walk by faith. The other demands we walk by sight. 
The one master calls us to be humble. The other calls for us to be proud. The one calls for us to set our mind on things above. The other one says, invest on the things here below. The word master is not referring to a mere title of employment. It's not your employer or your leader. The truth is this word is one that shows an obligation as a servant to its master. You see, you could have two different jobs working for two different employers, different managers, different leaders, and be healthy functioning well. But the actual reality of a slave to its master is that we as God's bond slaves have only one master to call our Lord, and that is Jesus Christ. The New Testament teaches us all throughout that it is he who we are called to and he who we pursue. Jesus is talking about the heart here, and uh, this is an important element when we look that the master, the two masters hate each other, and they cannot ser- we cannot serve both God and mammon. The word mammon there would be our wealth, our money, our resources. Now, one way by remembering this principle, you will sacrifice for your God. Verse 24, you will sacrifice for your God. Some of you sacrificed for something this week. And some of you went next level sacrifice. Some of you had to give up some personal time in order to achieve your God. Some of you, and and by the way, when we talk about this, this is not a condemning thought. The reality from Galatians teaches us that when we fall back into our fleshly nature, there are false idols in our life that take our passions and our attentions. So don't take this moment as the pastor coming down on you, give more so that you're obedient to God. You've missed everything. Because what I'm sharing with you today is that we all have to be aware of the idols in our life that call out for our passions. The idols in our life want our energy and our time and, and our emotions. Now, remember the treasures we treasure. We're so connected to them because of, of emotions. If you go outside the back of the church building or back of the church office and you walk up to a 2005 blue Toyota Sequoia, and you take a key and go right down the side of it, and you open a door, and you rip apart seats, and you say, this thing's a piece of junk. It stinks. Well, I'm going to say, dude, that's, that's my car. This is the vehicle I brought both of our girls home from the hospital in. This is the car that from Macon, Georgia, went to Indianapolis and back, went to the wilds and back, went to Lakeland and back. It's been everywhere. It has almost 300,000 miles on it. And when I look at that Toyota Sequoia, it's going to be there for Bailey to take on her honeymoon one day. (laughs) And if she doesn't, it will break my heart, right? We think of the treasures that we have. Honestly, the Toyota Sequoia doesn't get any of my emotions. It doesn't get any of my passions. I'm thankful for it, and I'm thankful for the resource that it is. The kids take it off to their kids' activity. The teens have used it for their activity. I can show you dents on the hood where Rachel Mullen, one of the teenagers back in our youth group 12 years ago, crawled on top of the hood and dented it. I can show you the very back where teenagers threw things in and scratched all of it up together. One teenage girl hid under clothes in the back as Natalie and I were leaving and pulling out of the church one day and jumped out and scared me out of my wits. 
I felt so bad because as soon as we left, I said, honey, let's rock and roll. Let's go. I was like, I don't know why I said that, but a teenager heard the youth pastor say, let's rock and roll. Now I don't say a word when I get in my car. I've been scarred. In conclusion, John Ortberg, he wrote this. Tithing was never meant to be a way to pay our debt to God. It has always been a training exercise to cultivate a generous and God-centered heart. Giving something to God is a true piece of, of evidence of where we are spiritually. I won't back away from that. Our giving to God shows us where we are in our spiritual walk with God. When God's stretching our faith and teaching us new things, we continue to give. Some people would say, I've got debt to pay off, I can't tithe. And the reality is, is, is God has all those details taken care of. As a church family, we have debt to take care of. It's called the Property Advancement Project. But we never, never have said that the missions ministry will be put on hold. We've never said that we won't take on new missionaries or expand our giving to them. We've never put that in neutral. We've said we take care of God's business and he'll take care of the rest. And so as a church, I'd love for us all just to imagine giving something to God.